Welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Uh, not as much to recap as we usually have because uh, we popped up after that three-game sweep against the Rays, but uh, the Blue Jays do take two out of three against the Minnesota Twins. You know, I'd be lying if I said it was the most uh, impressive display over the course of three games, but when you've been playing as badly as the Blue Jays have been playing for the last two weeks, uh, you're not going to kick a gift horse in the mouth. And the Minnesota Twins and the uh, crappy brand of baseball they currently play uh, was certainly a gift horse. And uh, the Blue Jays, you know, there were some hairy moments uh, throughout the course of the three-game series. But you know, with the way things have been going, you take two out of three and run. You got an off day. You're home against a not particularly good uh, Milwaukee Brewers team. Uh, that's the type of series you fancy yourself getting back into the race that's the type of series you got to take care of business uh, against a team like Milwaukee. And then obviously the Mets are coming to town for three. And then you've got the Astros and the twins again, the Orioles Rangers it's schedule stuff. So, uh, you know, like they're not going to be any gimmies here um, moving forward. And the blue Jays are just going to have to play better, but you know, there were certainly some positives and we'll get to those, but I do have to start with uh you know, there's been some discourse. Maybe I'm manufacturing some of it, but like I got a lot of tweets uh, over the weekend, especially on Saturday, um, cons- concerning, let's say, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s less than stellar performance in the month of May. And you look at his split so far in April, he hit 302 with 388 on base percentage. He had five home runs. He only struck out 14 times and 106 at bats, walked 13 times. Solid. You would have liked to have seen a little bit more power production, but you're never going to be upset with 14 strikeouts and 13 walks and an 880 OPS and a batting average over 300 over 27 games. And then you fast forward and it's really been magnified over the last really two weeks. He's been uh, a real poster boy for the struggles of the offense and as a whole, really of the team. He's still been good defensively. Like we saw it a couple of times uh, against Minnesota, like he saved a run uh, in Sunday's game. Like he's not, it's not been all bad, but like his most value is with his bat. And you look at his numbers in May, he's hitting 253 with a 293 on base, a 429 slugging percentage, eight, uh, 722 OPS. He has 24 strikeouts, five walks in 91 at bats, three home runs, 19 RBI. Uh, and one of those home runs came obviously against Luke Rayleigh in that game against the race. So he's two home runs. Uh, in 90 at bats, he still doesn't have a home run at home. You know, that's, that's really, I don't honestly know what to even say about that. Like it's uh, just kind of baffling, but uh, like, it's been bad. There's no question about it. His play discipline has been not good. Uh, you know, like his mechanics with his swing have not been particularly sound either. It's just, it's really jarring. Because honestly, his mechanics and his approach and his at bats were so consistently excellent in um in in April that it was just hard to see this level of regression happening so quickly. And you know, like I was getting a lot of well, you know, Vladdy can only hit in the minor league park and Vladdy's overrated, Vladdy's the most overrated player in baseball. And like I I suppose a part of me is like, okay, I see where you're coming from because he had 40 home runs two years ago. He struggled in 2020. He wasn't amazing his rookie season uh, in 2019. Even last year, he did hit 32 home runs, had an 820 OPS. 
but it wasn't the same level of dominance that we saw um, in in 2021, obviously. But I, I just don't know, you know, what you're looking for here. Like they're not trading him. They'd be stupid to trade him. It's not even a remote consideration. And like he's 24 years old. Like we have to keep that in mind. You know, I understand that he's been up here for a while and this is really his his fourth full season, fifth full season, let's call it. He played 123 games in his rookie year. Uh, and then, you know, there was obviously the COVID season, but he played all 60, he played 161, 160. He basically plays every day. I do think that you have to factor in, you know, how much of a, of a consideration is the knee injury uh, with his struggles. Like since he's missed a game or, you know, went for that MRI and, and, like there was some uncertainty just with what the situation there was with his knee. His numbers have been bad and maybe he's fighting something. Maybe an off day will help. Maybe he's compensating for the knee, not feeling great. And it's taking him out of what he normally does well and leading to some bad habits cropping in. Maybe that's just an easy excuse. Maybe it's just a slump and he has to figure out, you know, how to get mechanically right again and how to become more fundamentally sound uh, offensively. But like declaring he is what he is at 24 years old is just not, you know, like if this is all he is, if if all he ends up being is like 35% better than the average offensive player, and that's a disappointment, like that, maybe that's part of, our, like part of it is our fault for the expectations being so high. But like, you can't sit here and try and convince me that it's a disaster if, you know, like he, his floor is a 135 WRC plus and like an 850 OPS and 35 home runs and whatever else, like, you know, you're talking about, you want more. And I think in order for the Blue Jays as currently constructed to get to where they want to go, they probably need more. They, they more than probably, they likely need more. They, it, it gets... You know, I, I think that you can get by, but I don't know if you can truly reach your ceiling as a ball club if he's, um, you know, like a three and a half to four win player as opposed to like a six win player uh, or plus like he was a couple of years ago. But like you think back to when Aaron Judge, for example, was 24 years old, um, you know, he played 27 games for the Yankees and struggled struck out 44% of the time that is rookie season when he was 25, he had 52 home runs. Like he's battled some injuries, but like he's had a bunch of seasons where he's been 140, 150 WRC plus. And then the last two years he's exploded again. So like, you know, it's progression's not a linear thing. Uh, not every player year in and year out um, is necessarily going to have the lofty numbers um, that they're capable of. Like not everyone could be Mike Trout where his down year is uh, a down year for him is better than everyone else's year. Like a down year for Vladdy was probably last year and he was still 30 plus percent better than the average offensive player. But like we just, it seems like, I don't know if it's Jays fans or all sports fans or whatever it is in this era that we live in. You know, a player has some struggles at some point in their career. And the first inclination of a loud but probably small percentage of fans are calling for that player's head and looking for that player to be traded and this, that, and the other. And like we did this with Bo Bichette last year. Like I was fighting this off last year and he was playing way worse 
uh, when that was happening, like struggling defensively, really couldn't hit, uh, wasn't providing much value. It got bumped down in the order uh, pretty noticeably. Maybe that happens with Laddie, but I'd like, there's just not a lot right now in the Blue Jays lineup that you'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll bat Vladimir Guerrero Jr. six. So who can bat third? Dalton Varsho? No, like Brandon Belt's batting cleanup right now. Chapman's been freezing cold. It's not great. Like Kirk's been batting low after batting, you know, clean up a bunch last year because he hasn't been performing. Um, like there's plenty of, uh, of guys that, you know, aren't, aren't really better candidates. So like I could at least accept that line of thinking, but you know, every time a young player has a struggle, it doesn't mean that all hope is lost and that player needs, you know, to be traded or anything like that, or it's some, um, indictment on them and their big busts or, or that sort of thing. Like it's a long season and there's a lot of prisoner of the moment stuff. And, you know, recency bias is what it is. And you see 20 to 25 games of below average production. And you know, that's all you can really think of. And we don't have to really go back too far to find when Vladimir Guerrero jr was really good April. So I'm not, you know, sky is falling. I think he'll figure it out. Um, I just think that there's too much talent for him not to. We saw it, like I said, in April. And, you know, if you want to throw dirt on on a player every time he has a slump, it's just it's a hard way to go about navigating 162-game season. Like, there are peaks and valleys. The Jays are in a valley right now, even though they won two out of three. It's been tough sledding. It hasn't been an easy watch. It hasn't been particularly enjoyable um, in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, he's been part of it, but I'm not abandoning ship with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like if you want to jump over, like I'll toss you a life jacket, you can go on your merry way. But even if the ship's taken on some water, I'm going down with it because, uh, I just, I'm not going to turn my back on this level of, of offensive talent. I just, I can't do it. I won't do it. And, you know, like there may come a point where, you know, something changes like from the perspective of him, maybe not being here anymore. Maybe that's because he's not going to sign a contract extension and the Jays feel as though they have no choice closer to free agency. Um, but as long as he's a member of the blue Jays and probably even if he's not, I'm going to continue to think that, you know, he's capable of, of really good things. So um, yeah, that was obviously a good portion of Saturday was uh, was sifting through that. And, uh, you know, the guy that uh, this time last year we were talking about, uh, Bo Bichette, uh, has been incredible. Um, obviously, the offensive stuff is, is what it is. You know that he's going to be brilliant there. Like he's leading the American League in hits. Uh, entering today, he was leading uh, the American League in batting average. I believe he still is. Uh, if not, he's second. Um and you look at fan graphs in ter- terms of wins above a replacement, he was uh, tied for third with Freddie Freeman and uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Among all position players, two and a half wins already. And like, there's a pretty decent chance with the start that he's had um, that we're talking about, you know, like a six win player this year, maybe six and a half wins. Like last year is 4.5. The year before he's 5.1. He's excellent. He's a superstar. Um, I- I've said this for a while. Like he just, he has something like there's a special quality to that type of player, uh, especially offensively. 
we don't really need to say much. He's striking out the lowest clip of his career. He's putting the ball in play a ton. Um, you know, we saw against Pablo Lopez, he pulled the hands in and hit a ball, uh, I believe into the second deck. I, you know, he can go the other way. I don't have a single problem. I never have with his offensive approach. Like he's cut back on strikeouts a bit, but he's never been like a, a gaudy, huge strikeout uh, machine. Like he's a free swinger and he makes a ton of contact. And this year he's maybe making a bit more contact um, than he has in the past, but he's always been somebody who you can count on uh, to be really consistent in that regard. It's really been defensively that uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say I've been like blown away or anything, but there have been points early in each of the last couple of seasons where there's been uh, well, you got to move him to second base, like does he have the yips, all these lollipop throws over to first. And there are still issues from time to time. But, you know, like the reason that a lot of people were and obviously the Blue Jays were willing to give him an opportunity at shortstop is because he's a good athlete. And, you know, a good athlete, you have to think that even if they're not going to be an amazing shortstop, because I think that there sometimes is just sort of this innate ability to play the position where you're just so fundamentally sound that you can maybe even make up for some athletic deficiencies just because of your baseball IQ and your positioning and your footwork and all of this and be a great shortstop. Like, I think there, there are certain regards that maybe Bo Bichette in that sense might not be able to be as good as you'd like him to be at the position, but his raw tools I think are good enough that he should at least be average, if not slightly above average as a defender at shortstop. And it's been rough. Uh, obviously the last couple of years, like last year in terms of defensive runs saved among shortstop, he was minus 14, which was third worst uh, among all shortstops in major league baseball. Um, and I know it's above average on uh, for sack ass baseball savant can be a little bit of a inconsistent metric, but he was in the seventh percentile Last year, he was in the 10th percentile uh, in 2020, 2021. In 2020, he was in the uh, 76th. And so far this year, as of Sunday, he was in the 41st. And he's saved two defensive runs uh, already. He's been about an average or so defensive shortstop. And that's fine. And that's why he's been so valuable, because his offensive production is so good that if he can just be okay defensively, then you're probably talking about one of the 15 best position players uh, in baseball and, and um, like, he's really been, I would say the most consistent player on this team. There really has not been uh, any stretch of time where he has been poor. Like he's just been good or great or amazing all season. And uh, one of the few guys, obviously who has had that, uh, you know, level of consistency, you'd love it to be the case that that more would follow suit but yeah he's hitting 338 um like he's just got so many multi-hit games he's hitting 355 in the month of may uh, after hitting you know 298 in april uh well i guess a little bit more because you you include march uh as well like he's just been so good like there just haven't been many games I think the longest he's gone without a hit in a game is two consecutive games a couple of times. There's just not any stretch where he's going, you know, two for 25 or something like that. And he's just been the one constant in the two hole uh, so far this season that you have no reservations about whatsoever. So uh, all systems go 
for Bo Bichette and uh, things have been really good. And you know, somebody was, was asking me and like, I don't have like any inside information on this, but you know, somebody was wondering, do players meetings, players only meetings work? Like maybe they do. I don't know. Like does something need to be said when you're really struggling? Maybe there's a, a message from somebody that will get across. Like, is there an element of that? You know, you're just pointing out that, a number of players are are stinking it up and is that going to do anything to really inspire a ton of confidence? I suppose I see that line of thinking as well. Like there were still issues. Like we saw it on Friday in the first inning when like Springer gets caught off third and then Vladdy gets gunned down trying to go to second. And, you know, like there were some, some base running issues. Springer gets caught um, trying to steal a base in the first inning on Sunday. I didn't mind that so much. Like, yes, Bo Bichette was up and do you want to, uh, take a runner off base with his ability to, you know, put one in the gap or put one over the fence. I, I get that. It took a good throw to get Springer and he had been eight for nine sealing bases before that. So I'm not really that upset about it. You know, Chapman having that rain fart where he ended up getting thrown out at third on a soft hit ball uh, by Whit Merrifield. That wasn't very good. Like that shit has to get better. It just has to be cleaned up. Um, yeah, I didn't think, I thought they played a really good defensive series. Obviously there was the, um, the Varsho misplay in center field. And I guess Kevin Kiermeyer making those plays or certainly the first one where it hit his glove probably. And hopefully Kevin Kiermeyer is healthy uh, soon with that back issue. You never want to hear somebody in their early mid thirties having back issues, especially uh, somebody like Kiermaier who relies on their athleticism to really buoy a bunch of their value, right? Like uh, I know Kevin Kiermaier has been great defense uh, offensively, but his calling card is his defense and his base running and yeah, his contact skills, but uh, like the Blue Jays defense isn't what it wants to be or aspires to be, or has been really for the most part this year. Uh, if Kevin Kiermaier is not in center field, but like there are still some sloppy issues and, like we saw it time and again against good teams like the Yankees and the Orioles and and especially against the Rays, you know, you're not fundamentally sound against those teams. Then they're going to punish you. And the twins just right now are not in a position. They're just not good enough to take advantage of mistakes. And they made mistakes of their own. You know, Edward Julian gets caught off second. And instead of bases loaded, nobody out. You have runners on the corners, one out. And Brios gets out of that jam and the whole complexion of the ball game changes because another team made a stupid mistake as opposed to the Blue Jays making the stupid mistake, which was honestly refreshing considering the way the, the last two weeks has gone. Like Kirk hits a lazy fly ball that falls in to score two runs. You feel you feel like that's the type of thing that's been going uh, against the Blue Jays over the last couple of weeks as well. Like that's what happens when you lose four straight series and uh, you don't win a series for two weeks. Uh, you play badly, but little things don't go your way. And you need that over the course of a long season, you know, where there are these 50-50 type of games where it's a play here that's not made, a play there that's not made, or maybe you make a play here or there that is the difference in a close ball game. So, like, the Blue Jays did enough to get two wins out of three against Minnesota, and now they have to sustain um, that level of momentum. And like, I, I thought that, you know, Jose Brios battled his command was not very good uh, in that start against the twins, but he found a way to pitch into the sixth inning. And like, he's got a two five nine ERA over his last six starts. 
he's given them a chance uh, every time he takes the ball. Um, there's not the same level of, I think, like last year there was, and even at the start of this year, there was just this sinking feeling when you saw his name on the uh, schedule and he was a probable in the pitching matchup that you're just holding your breath and hoping that it wasn't going to just fall uh, off, off the uh, reservation and be a complete disaster. And it's kind of crazy that he and Alec Manoa in some ways have sort of, it's like been a body snatching situation. You know, Barrios is now relatively consistent and you have a pretty good feeling when he takes the mound that he's going to, uh, deliver a relatively good start and a chance to win. And Manoa is a complete wild card. And honestly, more so you're expecting bad things from him. It's just, uh, it's crazy how quickly he's fallen off. And we shouldn't be that surprised that Barrios um, has bounced back because really up until last year, he had been uh, a very solid starting pitcher, not an ace necessarily, but an above average producer uh, for the lion's share of his career. And you know, was last year, a bit of an outlier. I think, yes, I I would be surprised as long as he's in his prime that if he's going to be having an ERA above five, I think he's a high three, low four ERA, which is okay. You know, like that's a number three starter, which I think is probably what he was expected to be three or four. Ideally, that's a great number four, but with the way that Manoa has been pitching, um, you know, he right now is the number three behind Bassett who had a clunker, but probably deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I love the level of accountability he takes. Like he basically just said his fastball was terrible. His off-speed stuff was terrible. His location was terrible. He was terrible and he wasn't good. And I've no uh, hesitation in saying, and and I have tons of confidence that Chris Bassett's the type of pitcher who puts something like that behind him and has a good start uh, his next time out. So like the bullpen was good on Sunday. Uh, really good. I thought uh, Trevor Richards is quickly up the list of, I, I'm not sure he's the highest of high leverage, but he pitched in a pretty important spot. Uh, like maybe it's not quite defined statistically as high leverage, but he comes in in a two nothing game. Uh, I believe it was at the time and, and did a good job. Uh, you know, like a really good job, got a handful of strikeouts, got more than three outs, uh, did, did a really solid job. Yeah. And I got three outs, struck everyone out, gave up a walk. Swanson got four outs, three strikeouts. Uh, Romano strikes out the side in the ninth, gives up a hit. You know, you're talking about nine strikeouts in three and a third from your bullpen. That's really good stuff. And you know, right now you look at the kind of bullpen pecking order and circle of trust, as I've liked to call it for, for many years, like you've got Romano and Swanson in there. No question. Um, I think Nate Pearson is right there. If not already, Tim Mays in the right situation, I think is there. Um, you know, against good righties, I'm still a bit squeamish, but you look at his numbers, they pass the smell test. Like there's not a lot in Tim Mesa's profile that says he's been exceedingly lucky or anything like that. Like he's been a quality reliever so far. And then Richards, I, I would say to some degree. So you're talking about two for sure. Pearson, I think is right there. And then Mesa and Richards are, you're pretty comfortable using them in the right spots. And then Adam Simber has not been good all year, gave up a home run 
to Willie Castro in that Saturday game against the Twins. Uh, he just hasn't been good. Like you look at his numbers, his FIP is seven eight three. His ERA is four eight five. Like he's walking the most hitters of his career. He's giving up uh, almost three homers per nine. Uh, like there's not a lot in his profile that says that he's been unlucky. Like if anything, he's been lucky that his numbers haven't been worse. And we shouldn't necessarily be that surprised. Like you're talking about a, an early thirties pitcher who relies on really deception and arm angle and that sort of thing. And uh, really, you know, trying to keep hitters off balance with that funky arm angle of his. And I don't know if it's the injury or mechanics or what have you, but he just has not been anywhere near the pitcher that he was uh, last year and, and in 2021 as well. And right now you don't trust him in any situation uh, other than mop up Jimmy Garcia, same thing. You know, he just has, to me, hasn't had a clean outing really in a while. Like you look at his recent, like he's given up seven earned runs in his last three appearances, two and two thirds. Uh, like, let me just, I'm just trying to make sure I have this right. Yeah. He's given up 10 hits, um, seven earned runs, one Homer. He hasn't walked anyone, which is good. He has five strikeouts in those two and two thirds, but like seven runs. He's seen his ERA rise from 4.29 to 6.46. And like, yeah, he hasn't had, a clean outing where he hasn't given up a hit or a walk uh, since he had got one out in a, an 11, five loss to Boston on May the 4th. And before that, April the 28th against uh, Seattle, he uh, pitched one inning, two strikeouts, no hits, no walks. It's been really rough. And it just goes to show how volatile uh, relievers can be year to year because Jimmy Garcia was consistently really good last year. Uh, and he's been one of the least dependable relievers uh, in the bullpen so far. And uh, he could figure it out. Like he had 23 holds last year, uh, was about a strikeout printing pitch, a 3.10 ERA. He's been really solid for the most part in his entire career. But uh, the Blue Jays need him to get it back because, you know, I think Pearson's emergence cushions the blow a little bit of him. Uh, regressing, but it would be nice to have more options that you can trust because I, I do feel that it all kind of ties together with the, the offense struggling in some respects to score runs consistently that you're just putting so much pressure on your starting pitching and so much pressure on your bullpen to be consistently good. And, you know, guys run out of gas and, and there's just no margin for error. You're always pitching in the highest leverage spots. Like I think last year, Jordan Romano was second in the league in terms of most appearances in really high leverage. And I believe he's 10th uh, so far this year. It's an indicator that the Blue Jays are involved in lots of tight games, which glass half full, you could say, oh, well, it's good prep for September and ideally a deep run into October. And it's the glass half empty. And probably my take on it is you want to win more laughers in, in the regular season. You don't want to just be having to manage your bullpen nip and tuck a couple of days a week, like four or five times a week. It seems like uh, because your offense can't pull away. So uh, until the offense gets its act together consistently, you're going to see these situations where you're relying on your relievers. Like we saw on Sunday uh, to shut down a team and, pick up a bunch of strikeouts and really stem the tide to allow you, you know, a gift 
third run for some insurance to give you a little bit of breathing room where it's not, you know, one mistake and the game is tied or you lose the game or something like that. So uh, a decent week, I would say, or especially a good weekend for some members uh, of the uh, Blue Jays bullpen. Okay, so I want to get to a couple of tweets. I just wanted a general take on things from people out there uh, at DFA underscore pod. Uh, This was on Sunday morning before they had won. Um, Veronica has asked me what is fundamentally wrong with this team. Can they climb out of this mess? I would say yes. Like anyone who's saying they're sellers, they should be sellers. It's May 28th. Maybe this is who they are and they're just going to be a middling average team, but I'm giving them more of an opportunity before I'm making any big declarations. I'm not saying it's early in the season and there's not legitimate reason to be concerned, but we're talking about 54 games. You know, this is really the time where it starts to baseball starts to really uh, come on people's radar, like Memorial Day weekend uh, in the United States is really when people start to, I think, pay closer attention to baseball. You know, other sports are wrapping up football seasons, not starting until, until September. You've got the summer to really sink your teeth uh, into baseball. So people are going to start paying closer attention just league wide. And this is when you're starting to get a sense of who you are, or maybe who you aren't, where your areas of strength and and areas of weakness are that you need to improve um, and what you might need to do around the deadline or plan, strategize for the deadline. Fundamentally, what's wrong with this team? You know, I think sometimes that there's a lack of attention to detail, which is really annoying because there was all this talk in spring about how it was going to be different and that sort of thing. And I don't know how to explain it as a lack of focus. There's so many veterans on this team. They like course corrected with getting rid of some of their, not even younger players, but you know, guys who had been part of losing here and not getting over the hump for veterans who have been deep into the playoffs. And some of the same, you know, shit is happening that has happened in the past and has festered a little bit and has, I think, hurt, in a confidence respect and uh, it's bleeding into just the way that this team is able to play. So like, I think until they figure out a way to just be more sound all around, but especially defensively on and on the bases, like, I don't think they're a bad base running team, but you just want to stop with these careless mistakes and just be smarter. Then they're going to continue to give away outs to, to quality teams. And if they clean that up, figure out a way to just be a little bit more consistent offensively, then I think that, um, you know, they're, they're not that far away from being a team that can string together some wins, but you know, talk is cheap. You got to go out there and and play a little bit better. Um, Swan what's uh, tweets in what's the value of players only meetings. If you come at the next game and run the bases like the Jays did in Friday's game, what even happens in a players only meeting? If that is the result. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, like a players only meeting to me is is like I I think it's just I I think it's an overstated fact. Like I don't think that you know people knowing that there's some meeting going on that that, that is going to be like it's not the Will Ferrell scene in old school where he's smashing a chair and screaming. Like I don't think that that's how players only meetings generally go. I think it's just more of a 
you know, brainstorming session. Maybe there is a little bit of a kick in the ass, but like these guys know that they're not playing well. So all of a sudden just being like, yeah, we're doing this poorly. We know we're doing this poorly. We're playing, we're watching tape. We know what's going on here Um, is all of a sudden just going to light a fire under the 26 guys in that clubhouse's ass to be like, okay, we're going to just play better. All of a sudden we're going to snap our fingers because we had a players only meeting not how it works like you just have to to do it um whether you have a meeting or not you know you have to play better than you have been playing closer to your capabilities and most of the guys on this team you could certainly make the argument haven't been playing at or even near what they're capable of doing in the big leagues so uh yeah i i don't really know how much stock i i would put into that stuff uh jason is vlad missing good pitches or uh, is it that he is swinging at bad pitches? I think it's both. Like uh, there was an at bat he struck out. Uh, there was like a, not, maybe not middle middle, but it was down Broadway and he fouled it back. I think it was from Griffin Jacks, ninety seven miles an hour, and then he was just not timed up on a off speed pitch that was in the zone. I was on the outer half of the plate, but like that's just the way it's going. He's swinging at balls even on pitches down and away he's offering it's like you can see he's mentally just being like i shouldn't swing at this pitch i shouldn't swing at this pitch and then he starts to make a move on it and then against his better judgment sometimes we'll pull back but like when he's at his best i feel like he doesn't even flinch on pitches like that and he's not expanding the zone he's not swinging through uh fastballs up in the zone like he's making pitchers throw to him and then doing damage on pitches uh, that he knows he can do damage on. And right now, uh, none of that is happening. So I think it's a little bit uh, of both. He's missing good pitches and he's also swinging uh, at bad pitches. Uh, there's another one here, tweet in. Uh, do Manoa struggles reveal a worrying young trend with this organization and developing their young aces as Ricky Romero and Aaron Sanchez also had horrible struggles after great success for a year or two. Well, like Ricky Romero is so long ago. It's not this front office. Like even Aaron Sanchez was a Anthopolis product. And then like his best year came in 2016. He was more of a finished product uh, at that point. Like you knew what he was. Uh, I think that there are questions about just developing starting pitching to a point where you feel as though guys can make an impact at, at the big league level. And the Blue Jays haven't done a good job with that. Um, they just haven't uh, in any respect outside of Manoa. We talked about this uh, a little bit last week. And for whatever reason, you know, poor evaluation. Uh, you look over the last couple of years, they just haven't done a very good job. Like uh, they just haven't, there, there haven't been a lot of good uh, starting pitchers that have been developed. Like maybe some of these guys do like a Chad Dallas or an Irv Carter, CJ Van Eck, like they traded Nick Frasso. We'll see if that comes back uh, to bite them uh, a little bit. Like it just hasn't, it hasn't really worked out like Hagen Danner. There are guys in the system who, Maybe one day, like they drafted TJ Zoic in the first round. That was a disaster. It's been rough and I don't really have any good explanation. They just haven't done a good job. And the Manoa thing is he got here. He kind of bucked the trend of this organization. And now I don't really know uh, what's going on there. Like there's a lot at play and it's just, it's hard to know 
exactly how to pinpoint why he struggled uh, to the extent that he struggled. So uh, yeah, it's an issue and one that the Blue Jays need to figure out because you can only throw money and prospects for so long before you're hamstrung in terms of prospects and you've got a bunch of aging pitchers uh, on your staff who maybe aren't performing like they were in the early part of their contract. That's what you need to do is develop to replace some of the guys that you've traded and then maybe move out some of the acquisitions that delivered value for you, but aren't really providing it anymore on their free agent contracts and the blue Jays, and at least in the pitching uh, type of category. And even to some extent, position player wise, haven't done that. And uh, that's why it's so important for them to win right now, because, you know, the farm system somewhat depleted and they made moves with an emphasis on winning now and, you know, so far that hasn't worked out and the pressure is really on in the next year or two to break through and, and do something because otherwise, you know, you're facing a lot of tough questions and uh, not an easy road to, I guess, at least internally improving your team. So I uh, appreciate all the uh, tweets as always did longer than, uh, than I thought I would here. I guess there was more to talk about, but uh, as always appreciate it. At DFA underscore pod is where you can find the podcast. At Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find me. Uh, as always, we appreciate your uh, reviews. Please uh, rate, subscribe, comment, uh, wherever you find designated for assignment on your podcatcher. We'll be back, I think, next Sunday, unless something crazy happens. Before that, we'll go back to once a week. We're always prepared to pivot if something is worth talking about. But uh For now, let's say we'll talk to you in a week's time. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks as always for listening. We'll talk to you next week on Designated for Assignment.